You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Michael Duffy. But we'll begin this morning with Missy Ryan, who covers diplomacy and national security for the Post. Welcome back to First Look, Missy. Thank you. I've been watching the opening days of a long-awaited Ukraine offensive against Russia in the last couple of days. From what you can tell, Missy, how big is it in scope and what appears to be the goal of this offensive? Well, the opening steps are are sort of more, are tentative, are small, um, are a little bit difficult to dis- discern what we hear from Ukrainian officials, uh, not on the record because the Ukrainian government has not announced the beginning of the the counteroffensive. Mm-hmm. Officially, um, is that you know there are uh, there are certain brigades um, being um, pushed, especially in southern Zaporizhia region, um, and that there's the use of leopard tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles um, that indicate that this long-awaited offensive um, has begun. So it's it's not um, the most clear. It's not like a World War II style um, armored columns uh, pushing through in a massive um, observable operation at this stage. It's more of this gradual beginning that U.S. officials have been talking to us for weeks now. Um, but the goal is more clear, and that is to recapture territory from the Russian forces. Um, you know, the Ukrainian government's goal officially is to reclaim every Um, inch of Ukrainian territory, including the occupied um, Crimea Peninsula. But really, I think more realistically, they're hoping to show that they can um, reclaim substantial or at least modest, excuse me, areas um, in southeast Ukraine um, with the goal of putting at risk this land bridge that Russia has from Russia proper to Crimea. Uh, And so far, uh, what has been Russia's response as far as we can make out? Yeah, I mean, they've been building up defensives for months now um, in and around Crimea, around um, the southeast land bridge area. Um, So what we can expect is that they're going to be employing, um, you know, artillery to keep Russia, uh, Ukrainian forces back. They're going to be um, using physical barriers that they've erected, berms in, in different areas, and then also potentially using natural barriers like the Dnieper River, um, uh, which is now flooded and much more difficult to get across um, in order to stymie the Ukrainian advance. Uh, what do we know so far about the impact uh, of the collapse of the Kokoka Dam? has on the battlefield and um, any developments about who was responsible for that? Yeah, so it definitely, um, you know, is an additional um, factor in the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. There have already been deaths reported, even though they've had this massive evacuation operation. Um, So certainly it makes things uh, more difficult for Ukrainian civilians who are already undergoing really difficult circumstances. Um, The battlefield situation, you know, is less clear. It clearly, it, it, it will make it more difficult for Ukrainian forces to cross the river as planned, as they try to push towards, um, you know, the, um, Mariupol and um, and across to cut off Russian forces in Crimea. Uh, but we don't we don't really know how directly they were planning to do that, or how um, how imminently they were planning to do that. And according to the U.S. Mm-hmm. government, there is not conclusive information about 
who is behind uh, the apparent explosion of this dam that resulted in this widespread flooding. The the each the Ukrainian government and the Russian government are, are they're blaming each other. But what we hear from the Biden administration is that there's no conclusive information. You know, it it seems uh, you know circumstantially it seems like Russia is the most obvious suspect here because. Again, it would impede the passage of um, Ukrainian forces into Russian-controlled territory. But um, the Biden administration has been telling us this week they just don't have a smoking gun yet. You know, the Biden administration has repeatedly said it doesn't want Ukraine uh, uh, to, as Biden put it, quote, strike beyond its borders. Uh, what does yeah. that mean? In, what does that mean in real terms? And how do they hope to enforce that requirement? Yeah, they they can't really enforce it um, uh, except by potentially threatening to withhold future weapons deliveries. What our, our understanding is that you know there has been um, guidance that is provided to uh, to the Ukrainian government by the United States as they have been providing these you know in, this increasingly um, significant array of weaponry with a you know increasing reach um, that they say you know we don't want you to use this. Um, to conduct strikes within Russian territory, um, obviously because they want to avoid a direct conflict between NATO and Russia. And so when there have been instances where it does seem like the Ukrainian government may have um, conducted strikes in Russia, you know, there were these drone attacks recently uh, within um, uh, targeting Moscow that were sort of mysterious. The, the Biden administration has said, you know, either pointed out that these attacks were not conducted with American equipment and that they can't tell Ukraine what to do or not to do with equipment that is not American origin. Um, and then, you know, when there have been instances where it seems like some American vehicles may have been used inside of Ukraine um, in the other sorts of all these, you know, very murky circumstances, you know, they just, I think, privately are conveying caution to the Ukrainian government. Missy, thank you for helping us make sense of the early days of this offensive and, and the normal fog of war. Good luck. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bet. Okay, we move on now to our Opinion Pros Pros, Associate Editor and Columnist Ruth Marcus and Contributing Columnist Ramesh Panuru. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, Ruth, it's clear now that the um, federal prosecutors have indicted former President Donald Trump. Uh, just at, 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 at a basic level, what do we know and what are we still trying to learn this morning? Um, well, talk about fog of war. Um, we are still waiting to see what is actually in the indictment. We have more information about what some of the counts are, but uh, that information comes solely from the Donald Trump side of the equation. The indictment is still under seal and federal prosecutors appropriately aren't talking about it. But more important, um, we don't have the underlying facts. And as you well know, as my editor, um, I have long thought that the when we get the full glimpse of the facts, when the parts of um, the case against Trump that were redacted, for example, a year ago, when we close to a year ago, when we saw the search warrant affidavit um, justifying the search at Mar-a-Lago, I think those facts are going to be really quite daunting. The thing that's going to be interesting is at the moment, it does not look like the indictment will be unsealed until Tuesday. And that gives the 
pro-Trump forces who are already out quite vociferously, the chance over these next several days to spin the narrative to their in their direction, to their end. And I think that's a potential, at least short-term risk for the Justice Department. Uh, and Ruth, what do you think, in a normal course of an environment, are these kinds of details learned and how? How are they likely to come out? Well, normally they would be come out, well, usually um, normal defendants, um, uh, and we are dealing with precisely the opposite here. Normal defendants do not um, seize the moment and announce with kind of all caps, glee slash horror, the fact of their own indictments. They wait until those are unsealed by prosecutors and presented in court. Um, but we're playing by Trump rules now. Um, ordinarily, we'd wait till Tuesday. The indictment would be unsealed. We would have a chance to digest the facts. That's not where we are. Um, I think I should also just take this opportunity to say we are at an unprecedented and somber moment for the country. Uh, I think that the indictment will turn out to be, when we see it, um, justified, serious, with appalling underlying facts. But nobody should... We should, and so in that sense, we should celebrate that the rule of law is applying here, that prosecutors aren't scared off by um, the th threat of public discord um, from proceeding with a case that they believe is justified. Um, but it's still a major moment for the country, and nobody should be um, greeting this with um, joy. It, we do not want to be in the business generally of prosecuting former presidents. And so it's sad that we have been pushed to this by the um, behavior of the former president. Ramesh, as Ruth just kind of noted, it, this is not only the indictment of a former president, it's the first indictment of the front running candidate for the 2024 GOP nomination. And he's, he's ahead by a, a bunch. So. Uh, what does this mean in your view uh, for political ter in political terms? Uh, and what has Trump's reaction been so far? Well, um, of course, this is, as uh, as you both said, unprecedented. Um, so we don't have a lot of history to uh, fall back on in guiding our analysis. But I would be awfully surprised if this didn't lead to another, rallying around effect for Trump. You're already seeing various figures in the Republican Party, including people who haven't endorsed him or people who are even running against him, like Governor DeSantis, um, essentially suggesting that this is a politicized, uh, unfair and abusive prosecution. Um, so, uh, you know, you think that, you know, perhaps perversely, this is going to make Trump even stronger as a candor, uh, as, excuse me, as a candidate for the nomination, what you know, it's always seemed possible that at some point the accumulating weight of all of the controversy and all of the charges around Trump would uh, start to hurt him, even among Republican primary voters. But so far, that has been a losing bet. And Ramesh, just one more question on that: the, 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 his rivals like, and there are a bunch of uh, new. Um, candidates in the race just in the last week. Uh, have they been silent in the first couple of hours or half day of this? What, are they waiting? What, what, what is their, what, what, what options do they have uh, 
in a GOP field that is still fairly Trump positive. Well, Governor Christie has uh, somewhat refreshingly, in my view, decided that he's going to withhold judgment until we actually know uh, more details about the charges um, and that we're he's, he says, you know, we don't get our information from Truth Social, uh, Trump's um, social media website. Uh, which is where we had the the advance notice that uh, the indictment was about to happen or had happened, excuse me. The, um, uh, you know, we haven't heard uh, much from some of the other candidates before the news broke. Uh, Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence had suggested somewhat vaguely that this would be um, divisive and it would send a bad message, but the, the actual sort of ground of an objection to a prosecution um, is not something that he was very clear about. Um, so I think that the, I suspect we'll see some, we'll see two things. We'll see, we'll see tap dancing by a lot of Republicans and we will see, um, people just saying in general that they're against, uh, rogue prosecutions. They're against a two-tiered system of justice, right? I mean, Trump makes all kinds of defenses of himself, but the one that's really taking off among other Republicans is, this is an unfair and selective prosecution. You know, Ruth, this is not the only classified documents case that's underway at the moment. Um, is the investigation of Joe Biden's handling of classified materials similar to Trump's? That is such a setup, Duffy. Thank you so much. Uh, if I hear the word weapon, if I had a superpower right now, if I could create one for myself, it would be to ban the word weaponized from the public discourse for like at least the next couple of weeks. Because the the Republican argument, and you hear this from um, some of the Republican presidential candidates, and you certainly saw it from Trump's supporters on the Hill, uh, Speaker McCarthy, Elise Stefanik, uh, Steve Scalise and others, is that he is being, the Department of Justice is being politicized and weaponized. This is hard to take from the people who sat by silently while that was in fact happening under the direction of one president, Donald Trump, um, and that Trump is somehow being treated differently than Joe Biden, President Biden. Um, that is true. He is so far being treated differently. The, the investigation by a different special counsel of President Biden for his handling of classified documents that were found um, in his office and in his home continues. Uh, but, he, but President Trump is being treated differently because the facts as we understand them are quite different. Uh, President Biden, when he discovered classified documents, volunteered that information to the Department of Justice. He cooperated with the Department of Justice and the archives. He made certain that the documents were recovered. He There has been zero suggestion that he tried to illegally retain documents or that he obstructed justice in any way. So it, the, um, the effort, which was inevitable, and I suppose smart on the side of Trump defenders to analogize these two cases, um, just falls apart if you have even the most minimal understanding of the facts and even the most minimal degree of intellectual honesty. Do I sound a little okay. worked up about this? I kind of am. Yeah. It's good for this early in the morning um, uh, to both of you. And then we're going to move on to the other candidates real fast. So at the moment, does it help Trump or hurt him or both? Ramesh, you go first. Well, I, I think it hurts. 
it hurts them in the in a general election as a as a contender against Biden, but it helps them in the primary. Let me just I, I can't resist saying I, I agree with Ruth. The parallel to Biden is not very strong. I think that the stronger case is with Hillary Clinton, who, of course, directed the destruction of documents that were under subpoena back in her long ago uh, case. And that's the one I think that it, that offers the more instructive parallel if you want to make the case for two-tier justice. That's the case that um, that I think Democrats uh, or people who, su who support this prosecution are going to have to rebut. Um, uh, Ramesh, let's wait and see the facts of Trump's alleged sure. obstruction before we make that analogy. Um, and should I just jump ahead and answer your question, Duffy, about um, who it hurts? I completely agree with Ramesh that it hurts uh, Trump in the long run in a general election. I think it probably helps him because honestly, he has the superpower kryptonite of being able to do anything, shooting people on Fifth Avenue and um, not turning off, in fact, attracting the Republican electorate. But uh, I think it is conceivable, though unlikely, that both the accumulation of indictments, this makes two, we could have three or four by the end of the summer, um, the accumulation of indictments and the what I imagine to be the um, daunting facts of the one that will be unsealed at some point may be enough to make some Republican voters say, do we really need this headache in our general election candidate? Um, because it's imperative that we beat President Biden. And so is this really our best horse? Uh, so I think the impact on Trump in the shorter primary term is still a little bit up in the air. Okay, let's move on to the other uh, candidates. We had two new entrants this week, uh, Chris Christie and Mike Pence, not unknown to folks at all. Let's start with Pence. Uh, Ramesh, what does he bring to the race? And can he both trade on his you know, work on Trump's behalf and also distance himself at the same time? So, uh, you know, if not for uh, certain uh, events, uh, between November of 2020 and January of 2021, you might think that uh, Pence was a pretty strong candidate, having been, you know, vice president um, in a in an administration that most Republicans considered um, to have had some very serious successes, uh, having ties to evangelical conservatives of of quite long standing. Um, but the problem, of course, is that he's in the situation where people who are um, opposed to Trump think that he was uh, too loyal to him, and people who are really behind Trump uh, think that he wasn't loyal enough. And there's not a whole lot of people left once you exclude those two categories. Now, Ruth, uh, there was a Pence's Super PAC uh, put out a, in order to kind of bridge that gap this week, Pence's Super PAC put out an ad, I think it was yesterday, and, and, and this is not the exact language, but it's close, drawing a contrast, Pence's super PAC was drawing a contrast with Trump, and the language was something like, a weak man appeases the mob, another man stood tall. Now, that's a contrast. Is, is, is that, does that help him get over this, this complication, do you think? Um, not with the mob, I mean, and not, not with those who support Trump notwithstanding the mob. I think Ramesh has it exactly right, and I think we, we saw this, we see this in the discomfort, the evident discomfort 
that Pence had in answering questions about Trump's indictment. He simultaneously wants credit for standing up for the Constitution when he had when it was put to the choice of the Constitution versus Trump. But then he doesn't come up with a very um, convincing rationale about why that doesn't mean um, actually holding Trump to uh, legal consequence when it comes to Trump's alleged violation of the laws. Uh, the other uh, Republican jump in the race this week, Chris Christie, he announced his candidacy on Tuesday. Uh, here is what he said uh, in a town hall in New Hampshire on Tuesday. I think we have that tape. Donald Trump made us smaller by dividing us even further and pitting one group against another, different groups pitted against different groups every day. Now Joe Biden is doing the very same thing, just on the other side of the political divide. All right, Ramesh, what's Christie's approach here uh, in trying to, because he at one point uh, nearly became Trump's chief of staff and had been an advisor from time to time. How does he thread this needle? Well, uh, I think that Christie is rhetorically quite formidable, um, but I don't know that this is going to work either, uh, because, of course, as you're alluding to, um, during much of this time when Christie now says that Trump was being um, recklessly divisive, he had Christie's very strong support. Uh, and that support lasted really all the way through the administration right up until the January 6th, 2021 uh, disgrace. Um, and so I think that that's going to be a problem for, for Christie. I think that Christie played a very important role in the 2016 campaign in elevating Trump and being one of his first high profile um, Republican official endorsers. Uh, and so as is true of so many of these other Republican officials, um, the break with Trump is awkward. Ruth Christie did something else uh, in his his rollout uh, uh, campaign this week. He said that Trump had failed to repeal Obamacare and he'd failed to get Mexico to pay for the wall, um, sort of laid a, a fact-based argument against Trump's many lies. Can, can truth work against Trump uh, in the current Republican Party, Ruth? Um, well, if past performance is the uh, indicator of the future, no. Um, I'm really glad Chris Christie is in the race because he's got such a, a amazing, uh, we're from the same hometown in New Jersey, so I'm allowed to say this. He's got a New Jersey um, capacity to just, you know, lay out the truth in a very unvarnished way. I, I think that the issue that Ramesh uh, uh, focuses on that, that there he was meekly looking like a prisoner of war in a hostage video um, by Trump's side after he dropped out of the race in 2016 is kind of the least of Christie's problems, though. Just look at his polling. He No, no uh, campaign operative in his right mind would, or her right mind would recommend that a candidate jump into the race when they are so far um, below water with their unfavorables so much higher than their favorables. And with his main message being not Trump, no way, no how Trump in a in a um, party that is still heavily pro-Trump. It's great to have him in there making the case, but 
Um, if I had to bet, um, sorry to say, because I would prefer it, um, Chris Christie is not going to be the Republican presidential nominee, and I'm not really sure he thinks he's going to be the Republican presidential nominee. Uh, Ramesh, what do you make of uh, Christie's role? And can I ask another question, uh, too? And this is probably going to be the last one. Uh, in, a, in a field that's getting larger uh, by the week, is that going to make it easier for the Republican Party to find an alternative to Trump or the opposite? So um, the crowding of the field um, is a potentially great boon to Donald Trump, but it's not quite the same as the crowding last time uh, because there's there's a big gap between Trump and everybody else, actually a bigger one than there was in 2016. Uh, but then there's also a big gap between a clear number two candidate, Ron DeSantis, and everybody from three onward. Um, so it, it has more of the look of a two-man race right now. Um, the, as for you know the role that, that Christie is going to play, um, I think that uh, the clear bet is that he is just going to shine on the debate stage and uh, and be a kind of heat-seeking missile um, that uh, that that makes everybody else uh, look weak by comparison and exposes um, some of the flaws of Donald Trump. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, it is a bet that reflects a great deal of self-confidence. Perhaps that is also uh, reflective of your New Jersey town. I don't know, Ruth. We, we are tough New Jerseyites in, in Livingston, New Jersey. There you go, go Lancers. I think that's where we'll stop. Ramesh and Ruth, thanks very much for joining us and filling in the gaps. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.